The new monthly economic report is out, and it's absolutely terrible. Joe Biden tries to deflect blame by focusing on COVID mandates, and Google says it will bar ads on videos that contradict the climate change consensus. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. The Ben Shapiro Show is sponsored by ExpressVPN. For peace of mind, whenever you go online, visit expressvpn.com slash Ben. All right, we can get to all the news in just one moment. First, let me just tell you, I really am not big into office chairs, okay, because they're really uncomfortable. Frankly, I don't even like working at the office. But now I have an X chair. And let me tell you, this X chair, it's like sitting on a cloud from heaven. I've never actually looked forward to sitting in my office until I even got the X chair. Can your current office chair give you a massage while you are working? My X chair can. Can your current office chair heat up or cool down? My X chair can because it is magical. It's all in the LMX massage and temperature regulation, exclusively designed and made for X chair. And once you feel the customized support of X chair's patented dynamic variable lumbar support, your back will never be happy in any other chair again. High performance, quality engineering, extreme comfort. These are the reasons I love my X chair. Now I can't wait to sit in that chair at work. My producers actually fight over it when I'm not in the office. Take my advice. Try X chair for yourself risk-free for 30 days. Once you realize how much better your chair should be, you won't go back. I promise. Go to xchairshapiro.com right now. That is the letter X, chair, Shapiro, S-H-A-P-I-R-O.com or call 1-844-4X-CHAIR for $100 off your order. X chair has a 30-day guarantee of complete comfort. You can finance your purchase for as little as 30 bucks a month. xchairshapiro.com. Alrighty, so we have the brand new economic report out today. It sucks. It sucks. It sucks because Joe Biden is a very, very bad president. That is the bottom line. So economists were forecasting 500,000 jobs added this month. That would have been pretty bad. The reason it would have been pretty bad is because we should be adding like a million jobs a month. We have 10 million open jobs in the United States. So how many jobs did we actually add in September? I hear you asking. The answer, 194,000 jobs. 194,000 jobs. That is an abysmally terrible job growth month. I mean, that's below the average of like the Obama administration job growth. Okay, that, that, is, that, that sucks. It's really, really bad. Okay, the reason it is so bad, again, is because we ought to be in a boom time. We had an artificial economic coma last year. Right? The entire com- economy was put into an artificial coma so we could prevent the spread of COVID. And then we got vaccines. And those vaccines have been widely available and widely distributed. So the economy should be booming. We should be back to normal. But Joe Biden has not allowed things to get back to normal because of his unbelievably crappy economic policy, taxation and regulation and inflation. Right? Those have driven the economy to new lows. Plus, his crappy COVID policy, which has been to yell at you about how dangerous COVID is and to pay you to stay home. All of this has resulted in Jimmy Carter-like stagflation, inflation at the supermarket. Whatever wage increases you've seen have been eaten up by actual price inflation in the United States. Meanwhile, businesses are not investing. So you've got the government lowering the interest rates to try and force businesses to take money out in loans to go invest in their own company. And no one's taking the loans because there's so much uncertainty, economically speaking because of Joe Biden's build back better bullcrap, then no one's taking the loans. So you're ending up with systemic, systemic stagnation at this point because of Joe Biden. That's the story of this economic report. Joe Biden and the media, they're going to try and play this as Delta killed the economy. No, no, no. Joe Biden is killing the economy. That is perfectly obvious at this point. According to the New York Times, U.S. employers added 194,000 jobs in September. The Labor Department said Friday. That was down, down from 366,000 in August. You'll remember, that was a massive disappointment in August. They expected 750,000 jobs in August, far below the more than 1 million jobs added in July, before the more contagious Delta variant led to a spike in COVID cases. It ain't about the COVID. It's about Joe Biden's approach to the COVID. If you pay people to stay home, 
and tell them that the vaxxed ought to be super scared of the unvaxxed, guess what people do? They don't go to work. You know where people are working? All the red states. There's a reason that the best states for unemployment in the United States right now are almost universally red because everybody in those states is like, either I'm vaxxed and I don't care and I'm going to work or I'm unvaxxed and I don't care and I'm going to work. No one's listening to Joe Biden, so they're all going back to work. The unemployment rate fell to 4.8%, but that is not because there are more people employed on a relative basis. It's because more people are dropping out of the workforce entirely, as Joe Biden promises to pay them to stay out of the workforce. The data released on Friday was collected in mid-September when the Delta wave was near its peak. Here's the New York Times trying to make excuses for Biden. Since then, cases and hospitalizations have fallen in much of the country. More timely data from private sector sources suggests economic activity has begun to rebound. If those trends continue, job growth could approach its pre-Delta pace later this fall. Oh, so, so we're not supposed to pay attention to these crappy economic numbers caused entirely by the Democratic Party and Joe Biden. We're supposed to hope for the future when things get better, except for here's the thing. Here's my prediction. There's going to be a wave of Delta. It's going to hit the Northeast. The reason it's going to hit the Northeast is it's about to get very cold in the Northeast. When people go indoors, you see increased numbers of cases, period. Now, a normal country would say to itself, okay, so there's more cases and not that many people are being hospitalized, not that many people are dying. But everybody is now aiming because of Joe Biden at zero COVID. The goal is zero COVID. So that means that people are still going to be in panic mode in the blue areas. That ain't stopping. We now have a psychological problem in the United States. COVID is two problems. It is a medical problem, which has been consistent since the beginning of the pandemic. And it's a psychological problem. This is a psychological problem at this point. Earlier this year, many economists and policymakers hoped that September would be the month when the logjam began to abate as schools and offices reopened and expanded unemployment benefits ended. That easing has not happened. The resurgence of the pandemic delayed office reopenings and disrupted the start of the school year and made some people reluctant to accept jobs requiring face-to-face interaction. Again, the media are just going to continue to blame exogenous factors. It doesn't explain why those exogenous factors have not led to massive job decreases in red states. The left likes to say this is a pandemic of the red states because it's a pandemic of the unvaccinated. Okay, well, this is an unemployment of the blue states. It's an unemployment of the blue states. If you look at the unemployment numbers by state from the Bureau of Labor Statistics, what you will see is here are the best states for unemployment in the United States. You ready? Nebraska, red. Utah, red. Idaho, red. South Dakota, red. New Hampshire, purple to red. Vermont is the only outlier. Alabama, red. Oklahoma, red. Georgia, red. Montana, red. North Dakota, red. Kansas, red. And then you get to Minnesota, outlier. Wisconsin, red. Missouri, red. Virginia, purple. Indiana, red. Iowa, red. Arkansas, red. South Carolina, red. Kentucky, red. North Carolina, red. Tennessee, red. Okay, then you go and you look at the uh, the worst states for unemployment. Nevada, blue. California, blue. New, New York, blue. New Mexico, blue. New Jersey, blue. Connecticut, blue. Illinois, blue. Hawaii, blue. District of Columbia, blue. Pennsylvania, purple. Alaska, red. Louisiana, purple. Okay, so you've noticed there's a pretty heavy political striation here. Why? Because this isn't about COVID and the Delta wave. It's about everything else. Not just that. People are not investing in the economy because we are now stuck. So Joe Biden has created a stagflation situation. High taxes, high regulation, high spending. And now the Federal Reserve is saying, "Um, guys, we've been trying to jog the economy and we can't keep doing this. It's creating inflation. And so now investors are like, well, before you were kind of giving us free money. Now you're not giving us free money. So maybe we're not going to use that free money to invest. According to the New York Times, a stingier Fed is not the market's only concern. Inflation, dismissed until recently by the Fed as a transitory artifact of the pandemic, is coming to be seen as more persistent as the prices of goods, services, and labor increase. 
What is being acknowledged as transitory, though, is the jolt to economic growth and corporate profits provided by several trillion bucks of added spending by Congress. Who knew? Who knew that if you created fake growth by throwing money at things, it wouldn't last? Who knew, except for everyone who has ever studied one ounce of economics? Who knew? So the Federal Reserve is going to have to draw back at the same time that Joe Biden has slowed the economy. Joe Biden's going to end up with a recession if he's not careful, which is amazing for a guy who was literally handed a vaccine, the cure to COVID, and somehow has blown it. This guy is the worst president of my lifetime, bar none. I mean, it is not close. He's way worse than Obama was. He's an incompetent buffoon who's convinced of his own moral rectitude. It's amazing. So with all of that said, Joe Biden now needs an excuse. He needs an excuse for his failure. So, of course, his excuse is going to be COVID itself, right? And all the unvaxxed. That's the excuse. He's unwilling to take blame for his own crappy fiscal policy and his own crappy economic policy. And he's unwilling to take blame for the fact that whatever remnants there are of lockdowns, shutdowns, and overwrought worry are directly the result of his administration. And what we have right now in America with regard to COVID is a medical problem in the sense that some unvaccinated people are dying from COVID. And that problem has been the same since the beginning of the pandemic, that if you're unvaccinated, there is a a good likelihood that you're going to end up with one of the variants. And then, depending on your age, there is some likelihood that you will be hospitalized and, and that you might die. It really depends on your age, a lot, as we'll get to when we, when we talk about kids in a moment. Okay, so that is one problem. That problem has not changed over the course of the pandemic. What has changed is our circumstances. We now know that if you do not wish to die from this or be hospitalized, we have very good solutions for you. We have better therapeutics that are coming to market. We have the vaccines themselves, which are massively effective. But we have all of these solutions which really means that the second problem of the pandemic is a psychological problem. And this is a problem that has set its roots unbelievably deep at this point. People are in pandemic mode and they cannot get out of pandemic mode. They cannot. And that has been driven by the left. That has been driven by Joe Biden. It's been driven by the media. The outsized panic at the actual real world risk to individuals of COVID has been driven by the media. It's been driven by the Democrats and now they can't get out of it. I've been talking with people routinely at schools, in in government, about what sort of policy should be pursued. I mean, hell, members of my own family, about what policies should be pursued with regard to, for example, masking children in school. The data is pretty damned clear. The rates of death and hospitalization for children from COVID are extremely low. Very, very, very low. And we are talking about like lightning strike low. The number of kids in the United States who have died from COVID, according to the Centers for Disease Control, remains under 600 over the course of the entire pandemic as compared with something like 900 kids over the course of the same period who have died of pneumonia. Thank God, this is not a childhood disease. This is a disease that is heavily age striated. Children are safer from COVID, unvaccinated, than adults are from COVID after being vaccinated. That's how age striated this particular disease is. And yet if you talk to people who are making school policies very often, they will say things that make no internal sense at all. They will say things that are not rooted in science. First, they will make the claim that kids need to be masked in school, even though there, the, there's ex- very little evidence. Let's put it that way. Very little evidence that cloth masks in particular among children do anything to stop the spread of the virus. The viral load of COVID is about 100, somewhere between 1 and 300 times the viral load of the original variant, which means that cloth masks are really doing very little to stop the spread of COVID if spread of COVID is happening in schools. Okay, and second, the risk to children, even if they get COVID, is extremely, extremely low. And yet you'll see school administrators say things like, well, we have to mask the kids. And you'll say, why do you have to mask the kids? And they'll say, well, because what if one of the kids in the class gets COVID and then somebody else is nearby? And the answer is, well, then that kid 
either has COVID or does not have COVID. Are they symptomatic or are they not symptomatic? The mask isn't the deciding factor because Dr. Michael Osterholm of the Biden administration and multiple other doctors ranging from Robert Redfield to even Ezekiel Emanuel have talked about whether or not cloth masks are particularly effective against COVID. Okay, so the masks are not the deciding factor. And yet you'll hear people almost as sort of a talismanic saying suggest that if we don't mask kids, kids have to go home. And then you'll say, okay, but why do the kids have to go home? And they'll say, well, the kids have to go home because they might spread COVID. And you say, well, but the stats on spreading of COVID are, are really kind of the same, right? I mean, they, they haven't really changed dramatically over the course of the last month, particularly. And not only that, if kids are asymptomatic, why should they be going home? We don't do this with literally any other disease. That's diseases that are more deadly for kids, we don't do this for. If you're asymptomatic, we don't send you home, right? None of the policy makes any internal sense. But what is it driven by? It's driven by a back-of-the-mind suggestion that zero COVID is either a possibility or something that we should be pursuing. It is bad policy. It is not something that we should be pursuing. But it is something that Joe Biden has to pursue. So Joe Biden and the Democrats and the media are all heavily invested in the idea that COVID is not going to become endemic and sort of just become a background part of life that we all live with and we take off our masks and we go back to work and sometimes we get COVID and nearly all of us live and, you know, just like every other disease that is in circulation and has been since the dawn of mankind. There is this, this assumption that is being made by the Democrats and by the media that COVID needs to be wiped out. And the reason that they are making that anti-scientific assumption is because the authoritarianism is the point. They want the control. The reason they want the control is because the suggestion of the control allows them to blame everyone else for their own failings. See, here's the thing. If you think that Joe Biden's fiscal policy is what is causing the economy to be slow, if you think that Joe Biden's COVID policies have been pretty ineffective considering more people this year have died of COVID than died last year of COVID in the United States, I know they're not going to run that scrolling ticker on CNN because Joe Biden's president now. They did that last year. They don't do it anymore because Joe Biden is president. But if you, if you don't think Joe Biden has done a particularly good job, Joe Biden needs an excuse. His excuse is going to be that the unvaccinated, that it's their fault that this continues. If everyone just did what Joe Biden said, if Joe Biden were king of the world for a moment, then all of your problems would go away. This is part and parcel of the overall overarching democratic pitch, which is that government can solve all of your problems. Every problem in life can be solved by the federal government. It is a lie. It is untrue. But Joe Biden has to maintain it. And so that means he must be he must stump for control. Right. You look at him and you say, why would I give you more control, given the fact that you failed in nearly everything you have touched? The way that Joe Biden sees it is precisely the opposite. Why don't you give me more control? Because everything that I have touched has failed because I haven't had more control. There is no way to falsify that thesis. Joe Biden knows it, which is why he is pushing it. We'll get to more of this in just one second. First, let us talk about the simple fact that if you look at your home right now, Looks pretty good. You've been doing some work on your home, but there's one thing you haven't thought about, and that is your window coverings. You take pride in maintaining a beautiful home, but now is the time to make the easy and affordable upgrades your family deserves. Blinds.com makes it simple to shop top quality custom blinds, shades, and interior shutters from home with easy online ordering and free shipping. The experts at Blinds.com understand that window treatments are one of those household items you just don't think about. They can make a huge difference in the look and feel of your home. Nice window coverings, really, they kind of feel like background, but when the window coverings are bad, it's something that your mind takes note of and uh, and you just feel uncomfortable in the place. Fix up your place. Go to blinds.com right now. You don't need to do a full reno. You can simply change the way light comes into your home, which to me is like the single biggest factor in whether you're happy or not when you come home is how the light comes in your house. You really need great window coverings. Blinds.com can make it happen for you. Take a look at all their options. Faux wood blinds, cellular and roller shades, even outdoor shades, 
all customizable to your specific dimensions. And if you're nervous about trying them, their SureFit guarantee has you covered. Blinds.com has helped millions of homeowners through the process. Plus, they guarantee the perfect fit, whether you do it yourself or have them measure and install everything for you. Go right now, see how much you can save at blinds.com. When you check out online, don't forget to tell them you heard about blinds.com from the Ben Shapiro Show. Rules and restrictions may apply. Go check them out right now, blinds.com. Alrighty, so the the Joe Biden push here, right, which has a, a bleed down effect, is that everything is failing, not because of him. Everything is failing because you haven't given him enough control. And this is why he's pushing vaccine mandates. Again, the reality in most parts of the United States is that unless hospitals are being overwhelmed, and this is happening in some rural areas where you could talk about whether you need mask mandates to prevent the, to prevent the, the hospitals from being overwhelmed, right? That's what we did at the beginning of the pandemic. And if you're in a place with an actual shortage of medical care, it makes some sense. Okay, but other than that, vaccine mandates are unnecessary at this point. The reason they are unnecessary is because they are liberty violating and because if you are vaccinated, you really don't have to fear the unvaccinated. Joe Biden's claim that the vaxxed should be in, living in fear of the unvaxxed is causing the economic downturn. It is affecting how the economy works. So he has to talk up the vaccine mandates. Now, here's the thing that's truly amazing. Joe Biden is trying to get the best of both worlds. So there are a lot of corporations that want the vaccine mandates. The reason a lot of corporations want the vaccine mandates is because they would prefer to not have their workers out sick from COVID. Right? They want people to come back into the office. The best way to get people back into the office, presumably, is to not have anybody get sick. So if we can force our workers to have a vaccine, then we will. But they also don't want the political and interior blowback of doing a vaccine mandate. So Joe Biden made it easier for these giant corporations to push vaccine mandates by saying he was going to do so via OSHA. Now, remember, he said a month ago, I think it's more than a month now, that he was going to be pushing vaccine mandates through the OSHA administrative body. He was going to mandate that every business above 100 people had to either vax or weekly test all of their employees. Remember this. Okay, now, here's the thing. Joe Biden never issued that regulation. There has been no regulation. Right? We got our legal team ready. We were ready to go to court. There's been no regulation. The reason there's been no regulation is because it was all bullcrap. Joe Biden simply said that so that corporations would do it and then blame him or credit him. And he wants the credit. So he's talking about vaccine mandates not because they have been the deciding factor in how this pandemic goes. That is not true. Okay, the pandemic started to wane in Florida well before the vaccine mandates, well before Joe Biden said a damned word about it. The reason being, they've waned everywhere. It, this happened in the UK, right? We talked about this over the summer. The UK had a massive Delta spike and then Delta stopped and it kind of has gone away in the UK in terms of the number of cases. This is what happens everywhere. And by the way, it's going to happen in the Northeast too with all the vax mandates and all the lockdowns. Everybody already understands that when it gets cold outside, there's going to be a surge in the Northeast. This is a seasonal virus. It is seasonal because if you go inside and you breathe all over other people, you're going to get it. But this is not a, ma a matter of public health concern because the vaccines are available. So if you choose not to get vaccinated and you get sick, that's your problem. And if you choose to get vaccinated and you don't get sick, good for you. But Joe Biden wants vaccine mandates. Why? Because in the end, it underscores the suggestion that everything is under his control, except for you, right? You, the people who won't listen to him. This is your fault. So here is Joe Biden talking about vaccine mandates. When you see headlines and reports of mass firings and hundreds of people losing their jobs, look at the bigger story. I've spoken with Scott Kirby, CEO of United Airlines, who's here today. United went from 59% of their employees to 99% of their employees in less than two months after implementing the requirement. 99%. 
And by the way, Scott, I want you to know I've instructed the Justice Department to make sure that we deal with the violence on aircraft coming from those people who are taking issues. We're going to deal with that. Okay, so he's pushing these vaccine mandates hard. And then he says they're the most powerful economic stimulus in history, the vaccine mandates. If that's the case, then why is your economy slow, sir? Because you said this a month ago. I'm not seeing the economy jumping. Are you? Here's Joe Biden continuing along those lines. Here's what Wall Street's saying. Goldman Sachs, quote, vaccinations will have a positive impact on employment. It means less spread of COVID-19, which will help people return to work. Moody's on Wall Street. Vaccination means fewer infections, hospitalizations, and death. In turn, it means a stronger economy. One economist called vaccine requirements, and I quote, the single most powerful, he didn't say single, the most powerful economic stimulus ever enacted, end of quote. Um, no. I mean, no. The most powerful economic stimulus ever enacted would be the government getting the hell out of your business and allowing you to live your life. That would be the most powerful stimulus ever. I speak as somebody who runs a company that employs over 200 people. You want, to, you want to stimulate the economy? Get the hell out of our way. But no, he has to be in our way because he has to justify his entire program. And if his program fails, the answer is always and forever more control. By the way, when he says that companies are going from 65% vaccinated to 99% vaccinated, okay, that may very well be true. One of the reasons that's true is because a bunch of people probably quit the company. American Airlines is having a problem right now. They vaccine mandated and 30% of their pilots were like, nope. You're seeing this. You're seeing healthcare worker shortages in hospitals because the healthcare workers are like, I am concerned about this vaccine and I don't want to get it. It turns out that when you throw all the people who are unvaccinated off the company, your percentage of vaccinated goes up. Magic how that works. Beyond all of that, there is the liberty concern and there is a liberty concern here. Again, I am pro-vaccination and anti-mandate. I'm pro-vaccination because I think they're effective and I think that they are safe for the vast majority of people. And I'm anti-mandate because I still believe in fundamental First Amendment American liberty. And because I believe in that, so, by the way, that's the same liberty that undergirds actual economic growth. It is not a coincidence that the people who are for vaccine mandates are also generally in favor of government control of the economy. It is also not a coincidence the other way around. And we'll get to more of this in just one second, because there's something deeper going on here. And now they're trying to extend this to kids, which is really where, where this cold war with regard to vaccine mandates is going to heat up pretty dramatically. We're going to get to that in just one moment first. Let's talk about the fact that you're consuming information at a rapid clip these days. We all are. That means you need a great pair of wireless earbuds. The ones I go to, Raycons. Whether you use them to pump up, wind down, work or work out, Raycons are my go-to for on-the-go audio. And the new everyday earbuds look, feel, and sound better than ever with an improved look and feel and optimized gel tips for the perfect in-ear fit. These are impressive before you even start listening. You get three new sound profiles to make sure everything you're listening to sounds its best with just the right amount of bass. There's also an all-new awareness mode for when you need to listen to your surroundings Instead, that comes in handy because half the time when I'm using other earbuds, if my kids are talking to me or my wife is talking to me, I can't hear them. That awareness mode makes it super easy to actually interact with the world around you. Raycons offer eight hours of playtime, a 32-hour battery life. There's also a built-in mic. You can take calls on your earbuds at the press of a button. Raycons start at half the price of other premium audio brands, but they sound just as good. And Raycons come with a 45-day happiness guarantee. Right now, my listeners can get 15% off their Raycon order at buyraycon.com slash Ben. That is B-U-I-R-A-Y-C-O-N.com slash Ben to save 15% on your Raycons, buyraycon.com slash Ben. Okay, so as we say, the White House is now pushing vaccine mandates very, very hard, even though they have not issued a vaccine mandate. Okay, so they, they, the reason they're doing this is because they want all the credit for a vaccine mandate without any of the legal blame for having to put up a vaccine mandate likely to get shot down by the courts. The reason they're not actually pushing the actual 
in the law vaccine mandate is because there is a very good shot that if they did, they would dramatically undermine some of the key pillars of their own legal architecture. One of those key pillars is the idea that administrative agencies get to adjudicate their own cases and that the courts basically have to allow administrative agencies to interpret statutes any way they want because they have the expertise. I think that if OSHA passed this regulation and if the Daily Wire sued OSHA over that, I think that goes to the Supreme Court. I think there's every possibility that the Chevron doctrine, which is deference to administrative agencies, gets completely overturned. I think there are votes on the Supreme Court to do that. I think Biden knows that, which is why he's saying vaccine mandates are great. Also, I'm not issuing one. Here's the White House COVID-19 coordinator saying, oh, and these vax requirements, those have been the big game changer. They have not. What we're seeing is that the early movers on vaccine requirements are having really strong results. Vaccine rates up 20, 25 percent into 90 plus percent of people vaccinated. So vaccine requirements work. They're also good for the economy and it gets people back into the workplace. Okay, so this is the shtick, right, is that if we tell you what to do, everything gets better. There's only one problem. A lot of people are not actually getting vaccinated. Right? The, the overall percentage of people who are getting vaccinated is indeed going up because their employers are forcing them to do so. So that's not a shock. But there's still a hardcore of people who are not going to get vaccinated. Democrats are struggling to explain why. And it's led to some sort of interesting takes. For example, this from New York Governor Kathy Hochul, who says that um, people are not getting vaccinated because they're afraid they're going to get murdered on the subway, which is a hell of a pitch for your state right here. You're so afraid of getting murdered on the subway, you won't get vaccinated. Good times in New York can be emotional sometimes to think of what someone like that little boy had to think about as he was going to school. Is he going to be okay? Or an elderly uh, person in Chinatown afraid to take the subway. I heard so many people say they're afraid to go get vaccines because they'd have to get on a subway and they're afraid of being assaulted in this very city. That is not the city of New York or the state of New York that we cherish. Uh, Yeah, things are going so well in New York that not only are you not getting vaccinated, the reason, according to the governor, you're not getting vaccinated because you're afraid a homeless person might push you in front of a train. Woo, things are going great over there. And so what is underlying a lot of this, truly, is a desperate attempt to shore up the expertise of the elite class. So a really good book review by a guy named Scott Alexander, who used to be over at Slate Star Codex. He now runs a site called Astral Codex 10. He had a book review of a book by a guy named Martin Gurry called The Revolt of the Public. It is from 2014. And the thesis of the book is basically that the reason that you see so much populist disdain for the elites is because there was a promise that was made over the course of the 20th century that was a complete lie. And now the elites have a stake in perpetuating that lie. So here's Scott Alexander writing about that and writing about the thesis of this book. He says, our story begins in the early 20th century when governments, drunk on the power of industrialization, sought to remake society in their own image. This was the age of high modernism with all of its planned cities and collective farms and so on. Philosopher, bureaucrat, scientist, dictator, manager kings would lead the way to a new era of gleaming steel towers where society was managed with the same ease as a gardener pruning a hedgerow. Some principles of the system. Government management of the economy under the wise, infallible leadership of Alan Greenspan-style boffins who could prevent recessions and resist animal spirits. Government sponsorship of science under the wise, infallible leadership of Einstein-style geniuses who could journey to the platonic realm and bring back new insights for the rest of us to gawk at. Government management of society in the form of wars on poverty and wars on drugs and an exciting new centralized form of public education that would make every child an above average student. Homelessness getting cleared away by a wave of the city planner's pen replaced by scientifically designed, heavily optimized, efficient public housing like Cabrini Green. Realistically, says Scott Alexander, this is all a sham. Alan Greenspan had no idea how to prevent recessions. Scientific progress was slowing down. Poverty remained as troubling as ever. 50% of public school students stubbornly stayed below average. 
But the media trusted the government. The people trusted the media and failures got swept under the rug by a genteel agreement among friendly elites, while the occasional successes were trumpeted from the rooftops. However, this is the thesis of this book by, by Gurry. With the beginning of the internet at the turn of the 21st century, bloggers and social media influencers short-circuited the established hierarchy. America's crimes and failures in Vietnam had percolated slowly and inconsistently through word of mouth, with most people content to believe whatever sanitized version the nightly news told them. But when America had, had crimes and failures in Iraq, leaked photos of torture and Abu Ghraib spread instantly across the internet. There was no opportunity for elites in government or media to come to an agreement on how much of it they were going to share or what the narrative should be. The scientific equivalent, Gray argues, was ClimateGate, where hackers leaked out the emails of top climate scientists and everyone got to see exactly how the sausage got made and decide for themselves whether they trusted it or not. Then there was the 2008 market crash. For the first time, people were able to go on Facebook and the comment sections of their favorite blogs and talk about how everyone involved in finance and government was a crook who needed to be hung from a lamppost. The discussion had a momentum of its own. People who wouldn't have dared think a heretical thought if they'd been listening to Walter Cronkite found themselves adding to the avalanche. In Gurry's telling, high modernism had always been a failure, but the government media academy elite access had been strong enough to conceal it from the public. Starting in the early 2000s, that access broke down. People could have lowered their expectations, but in the real world, that wasn't how things went. Instead of losing faith in the power of government to work miracles, people believed government could and should be working miracles, and that the specific people in power at the time were too corrupt and stupid to press the cause miracle button, which they definitely had and which definitely would have worked. And so the outrage, protests, kicked those losers out of power, replaced them with anybody who had the common decency to press the miracle button. Okay, this is a very good thesis. And it is also extraordinarily explanatory of what is going on right now. Joe Biden says, I would press the cause miracle button, except that those damned unvaxxed Republicans refuse to allow me to press the cause miracle button. If you just gave me more power on the economy, I would hit the cause miracle button. But Mitch McConnell and those damned Republicans won't get out of my way and allow me to hit the cause miracle button. And this is a bipartisan problem. No matter who is in power, they always have the excuse for their own failures of saying the other guys are preventing me from doing X. This is Scott Alexander's thesis now, and he's correct. Okay, the, the, in order to uphold the main thesis of high modernism, which is that the government can fix all your problems, you have to blame somebody for why it's not getting fixed once you have the power. And the answer there is we need more control of those bad guys. Those bad guys stand between you and utopia. And this is leading to some pretty grave results. Okay, and and it's, it's leading to some particular, this sort of arrogance leads to serious problems because it is not in keeping with reality. And even some journalists, who tend to be you know, pretty strict on COVID, are noticing this. So David Leonhardt has a good piece of the New York Times today. It is titled, The COVID Fable. When we treat COVID as a simple morality play, we can end up making bad predictions. He says, in the final weeks of the summer, with COVID-19 cases soaring and the rituals of autumn about to resume, many people assumed the pandemic was on the verge of getting even worse. Children were returning to classrooms five days a week. Broadway was reopening, movie fans were heading to theaters again. Given all this and the Delta variant, public discussion had a decidedly grim tone as the summer wound down. It may only get worse, read a Politico headline. The new school year is already a disaster, Business Insider reported. The Washington Post cited an estimate that daily caseloads in the U.S. could reach 300,000 in August, higher than ever before. In the New York Times, an epidemiologist predicted that cases would rise in September because kids were going back to school. And what actually happened? Cases plunged. The best measure of U.S. cases peaked around 166,000 on September 1, the very day that seemed to augur a new surge. The number of new daily hospital cases has fallen almost 40%. Hospitalizations are down 30%. Deaths have declined 13% since September 20th. So what exactly happened here? What happened here is that people, says David Leonhardt, are attracted to morality tales in which there are good people and bad people and politicians take advantage of this. 
In the case of COVID, says Leonhardt, the fable we tell ourselves is that our day-to-day behavior dictates the course of the pandemic. When we are good, by staying socially distant and wearing masks, cases are supposed to fall. When we are bad, by eating in restaurants, hanging out with friends, going to a theater or a football game, cases are supposed to rise. The idea is especially alluring to anybody making an effort to be careful and feeling frustrated that so many Americans seem blasé. After all, the COVID fable does have some truth to it. Social distancing and masking do reduce the spread of the virus. They just are not as powerful as people often imagine. Correct. In the coming weeks and months, says Leonhardt, it's possible the virus will surge again, maybe because of a new variant or because vaccine immunity will wane. It's also possible the population has built up enough immunity from both vaccines and prior infection that Delta will have been the last major wave. We don't know. We don't have to pretend otherwise. We don't have to treat COVID as a facile referendum on virtue. But here's the thing. Politicians do. They do because they have to explain why they are failing at their jobs. And the answer to why am I failing at my job is not because my policies are bad, like Joe Biden's are. The answer to why am I failing at my job is because you are bad, because my opponents are bad, because if you gave me more control, I would solve all of your problems. Okay, when the rubber is really going to hit the road is when it comes to kids. Because it is one thing for Joe Biden to say, I want vaccine mandates for all of the employed in the United States. The reason that that is not particularly risky for Joe Biden is because a huge percentage of Americans have already gotten the vaccine. If you're above the age of 20, you're much more likely than not to have gotten the vaccine in the United States. If you're above the age of 40 in the United States, you're way, way more likely to have gotten the vaccine than not in the United States. So what that means is that there's not a lot of political blowback to things like vaccine mandates in practical terms, because if you've already got the vaccine, most people who've already gotten the vaccine, maybe they don't like mandates, but they don't care enough about it to make a big fuss about it because they've already been vaccinated. So it doesn't affect them. Joe Biden knows this, but here's where the rubber meets the road for Joe Biden. That is when it comes to kids. And when you have people who are mandating that 14-year-olds take COVID vaccines, and now when you have a new push to get seven-year-olds vaccinated, there are going to be a lot of parents and a lot of people in the United States who say, no, you do not get to make that decision for me. That is not something I'm going to allow you to do. Because frankly, the evidence is not good enough that the vaccines are significantly less dangerous than COVID for a kid who is seven. We'll get to that in just a moment, because this is if Joe Biden makes us a hard push, if the left makes a hard push on kids must be vaccinated before we can all get back to normal. If this is their their final sort of the intransigent, the intransigent are not just those terrible unvaxxed Trump supporters. The intransigent are children. The blowback is going to be severe and they're walking right into it because they have to. You understand they have to blame everybody else because that's the only way they can maintain the veneer and the illusion that their power is insufficient rather than far too sufficient. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, let's talk about your sleep quality. Okay, so I use my pillow. I use my pillow because it's great. It's super comfortable. It's super durable. It's fantastic. And right now, my pillow wants to give back to our listeners. You can get great discounts on all my pillow products if you go to mypillow.com right now and click on that radio listeners special. Get deep discounts on my pillow's mattress toppers, towels, and so much more. For example, my pillow right now is offering a buy one get one free offer on Giza sheets. These are top quality sheets you will love. All my pillow products come with a 60-day money back guarantee and a 10-year warranty. Go to mypillow.com, click on that radio listener special for the buy one get one free offer on the Giza sheets and use promo code DailyWire at checkout or call 1-800-651-1148. You'll also get deep discounts on all my pillow products including pillow, slippers, the my pillow mattress topper and my pillow towel sets. That's MyPillow.com. Enter code DailyWire or call 1-800-651-1148. Tell them the Daily Wire sent you. That's 1-800-651-1148. These deals aren't going to last forever. Give them a call right now. 
Again, that's 1-800-651-1148 or go to MyPillow.com and enter code DAILYWIRE to check out the special deals. Alrighty, this coming Tuesday, October 12th, we're taking backstage to a brand new level. Instead of the usual Daily Wire studio, we will be streaming our conversation on stage at the famous Ryman Auditorium in Nashville, doing what we do best, making sense. This will be an event and a live stream unlike any other we've done. We are thrilled to be able to share it with you. Plus, we'll be making some extremely exciting announcements, which you're not going to want to miss. So be sure to tune in. Lots of surprises in store. Join me, Candace Owens, Jeremy Boring, Michael Moles, Matt Walsh, Andrew Clavin, and our live audience for a backstage like you've never seen before. Tuesday's live stream begins at 8.30 p.m. Eastern, 7.30 p.m. Central. Head on over to dailywire.com or Daily Wire YouTube to catch the show. You're listening to the largest, fastest-growing conservative podcast and radio show in the nation. Alrighty, so where the rubber really is going to meet the road when it comes to the authoritarian push by this administration is when it comes to kids. So Pfizer is now asking for FDA clearance to give its vaccines to 5 to 11-year-olds. Now, listen, that's their prerogative. They can ask the United States to allow COVID vaccines for 5 to 11-year-olds. But whenever the FDA does this sort of stuff, the next push from the left is, let's mandate it. Right? That is the, that's not because of Pfizer. That's because of the federal government. Now, I'm sure Pfizer would love it, right? I mean, their stocks go up if somebody gets mandated to take the vaccine in order to go to school, and Pfizer is the only FDA-cleared product at that point. According to the Huffington Post, Pfizer asked the U.S. government Thursday to allow its use of COVID-19 vaccine in children aged 5 to 11 if regulators agree shots could begin within a matter of weeks. Many parents and pediatricians are clamoring for protection for children younger than 12. Yeah, who? Today's age cutoff for the vaccine made by Pfizer and its German partner, BioNTech. Not only can youngsters sometimes get seriously ill, but keeping them in school can be a challenge with the COVID still raging in poorly vaccinated communities. I love that sentence. Not only can youngsters sometimes get seriously ill. Can we, um, can we put a number on sometimes? It turns out we can. And the number is really, really, really damned low. Sometimes. It turns out people sometimes get hit by lightning. We should all walk around wearing wooden suits of armor to prevent this sort of thing. But keeping them in school can be a challenge with COVID still raging. Why, why is keeping them in school a challenge? Why? Just keep them in school. Okay, and if they come down symptomatic, then they get to go home. Otherwise, if they're asymptomatic, don't send them home. Like th- These policies are so dumb in schools. They're unbelievably stupid. By the way, the policy in the UK is what I'm talking about. No masks, and you don't go home unless you're symptomatic. Period. End of story. Okay, this, this is incredibly stupid. Instead, we're taking entire classrooms of kids who are completely asymptomatic out of school to prevent them from transmitting a virus that is largely safe for children to other children. And then the excuse that's used ranges from, well, they might go home and they might give it to an adult. Okay, fine. The adult should have been vaccinated. That's the adult's problem. Two, well, you know, we got to keep the kids in school. Okay, it's completely circular. So you're saying we have to take kids out of school to keep kids in school. No, you don't have to do any of that. But this is going to underscore a new push to vaccinate the very, very young. Now, there are a few problems with this. One, Scandinavia, the entire area of Scandinavia, just curbed the use of Moderna's COVID-19 vaccine in young people. Sweden suspended the use of Moderna for all recipients under 30. Okay, not for kids under 18, for everybody under the age of 30. Denmark said anybody under 18 won't be offered Moderna. Norway urged those under 30 to get the Pfizer vaccine instead. Now, why is that? Is it because Moderna is causing mass casualties? No, it's because if Moderna causes any serious adverse event to people under 30, that now raises the risk of a serious adverse event from, from the vaccine over the risk of COVID because the risk of COVID for people under 30 is not particularly grave in relative terms. All three countries based their decision on an unpublished study with Sweden's public health agency saying it signals an increased risk of side effects such as inflammation of the heart muscle or the pericardium. 
It added the risk of being affected is very small. However, if the risk of being affected is very small, it may still be larger than the risk of getting seriously ill from COVID if you're young. That's the whole point. If you're 65, the risk of getting myocarditis or something is probably well below your risk of dying from COVID. If you're 12, that ain't the case. Anders Tegnell, Sweden's chief epidemiologist, said, quote, they are following the situation closely and acting quickly to ensure vaccinations against COVID-19 are always as safe as possible and at the same time provide effective protection against the disease. In July, the European Medicines Agency recommended authorizing Moderna's COVID-19 vaccine for kids aged 12 to 17. Canada also recently approved its use for those as young as 12. Hundreds of millions of Moderna doses have already been administered to adults. In a study of more than 3,700 children aged 12 to 17, the vaccine triggered the same signs of immune protection. No COVID-19 diagnoses arose in the vaccinated group compared with four cases among those given dummy shots. Okay, look at that. That's unbelievable. First of all, we're doing this to prevent four cases, right? Let's see that number again. It was a study, 3,700 kids, okay, presumably split into two groups. So that would have been you know, essentially 1,850 kids per group. In one group, zero kids got COVID because they're vaccinated. In the other group, four kids got COVID, unvaccinated. So what risk, and how many of those kids were hospitalized or died? Presumably zero. Okay, this is, if you are going to attempt to cram down vaccines on children, if that's the next step here, the blowback is going to be extreme and extraordinary, and it should be. I have kids who are seven, five, and a year and a half. I am not vaccinating those kids for COVID, not based on, not based on the current risk assessment. That is not going to happen. The reason that is not going to happen, there is no longitudinal data on these kids, none. The, the sample size of the studies is small. You know, MMR, the, the MMR vaccine, which is now mandatory, which I support, being mandatory for kids. MMR was tested for 12 years before it was ruled out as a mandatory vaccine in schools between 63 and 75. Now you're talking about a vaccine that has been tested on like a few kids over the course of a summer. And you're telling me that I'm supposed to vaccinate my five-year-old who is at almost zero risk of death, like zero risk. Statistically, it is so close to zero, it is infinitesimal. And I'm supposed to vaccinate my seven and five-year-old? Why? Because you guys are paranoid about COVID? All my kids' cousins have had COVID. All of them are fine. Nearly all were asymptomatic. Hey, Scott Gottlieb over at the FDA, he says it's still possible these vaccines will be available for kids by Halloween. Well, whoop-de-doo. The CEO of Pfizer, uh, the company you started on the board of, uh, affirmed today that that data on uh, vaccinations for 5 to 11-year-olds will be going to the FDA within a matter of days. Um, is that confirming your schedule of vaccines by Halloween? Yeah, I think that's still possible. Um, FDA has said that the review is going to be a matter of weeks, not months. I, I interpret that to mean potentially a four-week review, maybe a six-week review. So I think on the, on, on the low end, it could take four weeks, and that could give you a vaccine by Halloween. If it slips a little, it could be mid-November. Okay, so if this turns into, let's, ma- let's mandate this stuff for kids to go to school. They've already done this in California with kids above the age of 12, which is really dicey, especially because there are a lot of medical experts, including Marty McCary at Johns Hopkins, who say, what does it mean to get vaccinated? I mean, one, one of the things they've been considering is maybe we should give kids a single shot because it turns out it's the second shot that is very often causing the, the sort of heart inflammation that you're seeing in these, in these side effect cases. So what about one shot? Are those kids still barred from school? Let's say they extend this all the way down to five-year-olds. How many people do you think are going to do this? And how many shots is it going to take? Even the tests that we are using to determine whether kids are going to need another, another shot are completely flawed. So for example, Pfizer 
The data show that the Pfizer vaccine, after a couple of months, this is according to CNN, the Pfizer vaccine, the antibody levels from Pfizer drop off dramatically. Now, here's the thing. What that means is that you can still get a breakthrough case. I know tons of people at this point who have gotten breakthrough cases after having Pfizer, Moderna, or any of the others. Okay, but these vaccines are still very effective against hospitalization and death, right? which is what you actually care about. Now, the way that you are measuring whether somebody can re-enter society and be left alone, according to the left, is antibody levels. But antibody levels are not determinant as to whether your body fights off an infection. Antibodies appear after the infection sets in, generally speaking. That is why your body produces antibodies in response to both the vaccine as well as to the actual disease. But then the antibodies tend to wane, but you still have T-cell and B-cell memory, which is how you actually fight off infection. Your body still remembers how to fight off the infection, but we don't have great tests for that which is why you still have all these idiots out there saying that natural immunity, unless you have antibodies in your system, natural immunity is useless. That's nonsense. It's not science. It is anti-science. So how are you even going to determine how many shots these kids need? If you're measuring by antibody levels, presumably you need a shot like every five minutes. But you shouldn't be measuring by antibody levels because we already know that once you've been infected with COVID, your chances of hospitalization and death are low. We already know that once you've been vaccinated, your chance of hospitalization and death is low. But we're not measuring your chances of hospitalization and death. No one cares about the only stat that matters, hospitalization and death. No one cares. Instead, they're focusing in on measures that allow the panic to be prolonged. The panic must be prolonged because the longer the panic lasts, the more your government coddies can tell you that they ought to have more control over you, that they have to control the science, even though they are not actually following the science. Their current medical guidance does not make any internal sense. It makes no internal sense. You still have the CDC making the case that everybody, including the vaccinated, should mask up in close indoor spaces, but also saying that if you are wearing a cloth mask within five feet of somebody who has COVID and that person tests positive, you don't have to go home from school. Explain that one. And there's no internal logic to any of this. It has now become a matter of faith. And the faith is not in God. The faith is not in science. The faith is in your administrative government leadership to fix all of your problems. And if there is a continued problem, that's obviously because you did not perform the self-flagellating rituals expected by you, of you, by the experts. If only, if only you had flagellated yourself harder, if only you'd worn four masks, if only you'd been in, if you had voted for Joe Biden, if only you had done all of these things, everything would have been fine. By the way, there are indicators that this was the paganistic way we were going to approach COVID last year. When we were told, that you were not protected from COVID if you protested lockdown, but you were most certainly protected from COVID if you were spitting all, all over each other for George Floyd. This is purely political. It has nothing to do with the actual science. It has to do with maintaining the veneer that the elites actually have the capacity, the great priest-like capacity to control the great gods of COVID so long as you make the sacrifice and your kids make the sacrifice. And it's nonsense. And the lockdown is getting worse. Okay, it's not getting better. When I say the lockdown, I mean the informational lockdown. They must maintain control at all costs because once the myth implodes that these people actually are capable of fixing the problem, you have no reason to give them power anymore and they know it. We'll get to more on this in just one moment. First, I've been talking about my Helix Sleep mattress for years. I got to admit, last night was a very rough night. We had to take the dog to the hospital. Dog is okay, but didn't get a lot of sleep. The sleep I did get is thanks to my Helix Sleep mattress made just for me. If you haven't already checked out the Helix Elite Collection, you need to. Helix harnesses years of mattress expertise to offer a truly elevated sleep experience. The Helix Elite Collection includes six different mattress models, each tailored for specific sleep positions and firmness preferences. If you're nervous about buying a mattress online, you don't have to be. Helix has a sleep quiz that matches your body type and sleep preferences 
to the perfect mattress because why would you buy a mattress made for somebody else? I took that Helix quiz. I was matched with a firm but breathable mattress. I love it. My wife loves it. They're big Helix fans here at the Shapiro house. Plus, Helix has a 10-year warranty. You get to try it out for 100 nights risk-free. They'll even pick it up for you if you don't love it, but I'm not sure that has ever happened. Helix is now offering 25% off all mattress orders plus two free pillows for my listeners. Head on over to helixsleep.com slash Ben. Use code helixpartner25. It's their best offer yet. It's not going to last long. That's helixsleep.com slash Ben. Use code helixpartner25 with Helix. Better sleep starts right now. So this is why you see the unbelievable specter over the last couple of days of Google now announcing that they are going to ban ads on all YouTube videos that quote unquote deny climate change. Hey, this is their new take, that they are going to literally ban the monetization of all videos that cut against the quote unquote scientific consensus on climate change. This is according to Bloomberg. The new prohibition applies to commercials Google places online, as well as the websites and YouTube videos that run Google ads. It includes any content that denies human contributions to global warming or treats climate change as a hoax or a scam, Google said in a blog post on Thursday. Earlier this week, Google released several eco-friendly features for search, maps, and other services. In recent years, YouTube has tried to stop recommending climate deniers to viewers. Facebook, Inc. has taken similar steps on its platform. For for its new rules, Google said it consulted with experts behind the United Nations Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. The company will begin enforcing the ban in November. Okay, so here's one of the problems. The left has a really nasty habit of conflating anything they don't like on climate change with climate denial. So if you're Bjorn Lomberg and you point out that the world isn't going to end because of climate change, and in fact, fewer people year on year have been dying thanks to climate change over the course of the last century, like dramatically fewer, like down from 500,000 at the beginning of the century in 1900 to probably less than 10,000 today. If you point that sort of stuff out, then people on the left will say you're a climate denier. Even if you say climate change is happening, even if you say the majority of climate change is likely human caused, if you do not embrace the Green New Deal, or if you say, listen, the climate is warming, and that's not a reason for panic. Humans are, be- are very good at being adaptable. The economic growth that we are likely to experience over the course of the century is one of the great mitigators against the damage done by climate change. Perhaps we should stop worrying so much about cutting our emissions and start worrying a little bit more about mitigation and adaptation strategies like building seawalls or geoengineering. If you say that sort of stuff, folks on the left will still call you a climate denier. But the basic principle is the one that's really troublesome. Okay, the basic principle is That if you deny the scientific consensus on climate change, you must be banned. You must be. Now, we already saw this with COVID. It's a pretty ugly effect throughout the pandemic, right? We saw people saying that if you, if you at the beginning of the pandemic said that people, you should wear masks, you were denying the science, you were anti-who. And then it was, if you mentioned the fact that this looks a lot like a lab leak from China, that was shadow banned or openly banned from advertising. And then if you talk about hydroxychloroquine, that was anti-science. Right? It, over and over again, it was the scientific consensus says X. And then it was five minutes later, the scientific consensus has changed. Okay, well, what about the people? How did it change? How? Magically? Or was it pressure from the outside from people asking serious questions? Right? I remember that we did an episode, I would say back in maybe February, probably. The CDC had released new guidelines about masking in public places this is before Delta. And the new guidelines basically said that even if you were vaccinated, you couldn't do anything. And I got on the air and I ripped up and down the CDC. I said, this is unscientific. And YouTube contacted us. They were like, well, you're contradicting the CDC, the vaunted, all-knowing CDC. And we were like, right, because the CDC is wrong. And we were, we, we had to take down the episode for a bit, right? All of this. Okay, so 
what happened? Two weeks later, the CDC turned around and and did exactly what I told them to do. I mean, literally what I told them to do. We put up a chart and the chart was on one side, people wearing masks. And on the other side, people not wearing masks, basically. And the idea was under what circumstances should you mask and not? And I went down the chart and I said, everyone on this side should be green. Meaning if you're vaccinated, you should be able to unmask. Two weeks later, the CDC changed it, mirroring my exact policy prescriptions. Did we get back the revenue that YouTube had removed from us because I contradicted the all-knowing CDC? Of course not. Because this is the way that the quote-unquote scientific consensus is protected. You must trust the experts. This is why Anthony Fauci says idiotic things like, I'm the science. Why would you doubt me? Why would you? I don't know why you doubt me. I'm just, I'm the science. And if you, if you disagree with me, it's because you hate science. Or maybe that's not how science works, you jackass. Maybe the way science works is through questioning. If we were to follow the scientific consensus during Einstein's era, there would be no non-Newtonian physics. A scientific progress is a result of people asking very serious and very, very often sometimes very basic questions about the established consensus. The consensus is the consensus until it isn't. There used to be a scientific consensus that you should ice pick people in the brain if they had some sort of seizure. Yeah, it turns out that was a super crappy idea. Right now, the left will tell you there's a scientific consensus that if you have gender dysphoria, the solution to that is to cut off your genitals. How long do you think that's going to be the scientific consensus? My, my guess is that's not going to be the scientific consensus for very long. And that is being astroturfed. Okay, all of this is rooted in the idea that if you just control top down the flow of information, then the elites will solve all of your problems. This is why you get AOC out there saying things like, you know, our climate change provisions, what we're pushing on in terms of climate change, climate change, that's simply the science. You think this lady knows the science from a hole in the ground? She knows science. She knows how to spell. I mean, what, what are you talking about? Here is AOC giving a disquisition on the science via her, her degree from Boston University in international economics, which apparently couldn't even teach her enough to understand how basic markets work. Some of the climate provisions that we have, we cannot afford to increase carbon or just fossil fuel emissions at this time. That is simply the science. That is not something we can kick down the line. Uh, right now, both the IPCC report saying that this is code red for humanity, as well as recent reporting saying that if you're under 40, like myself, like millions of Americans, you will be seeing a catastrophic increase in the You're going to run right into Senator Joe Manchin on those issues, mm -hmm. though. You know that. Mm -hmm. Yes, and I think, um, I think Senator Manchin's going to run into the science as well. No, he's not, because what you're saying is not scientific. Yes, we can afford to continue fossil fuel increases. It depends on what the countervailing cost is. The real question is, can we afford your garbage Green New Deal, which subsumes economic growth, which is the greatest protector against climate change vicissitude in human history? It turns out people are really subject to the whims of the of the climate when they are super poor. When you live in a corrugated iron shack, and there's a hurricane, you got a big problem. When you live in a nice house in South Florida with hurricane glass, you're not nearly as scared of the hurricanes. So economic growth is a rather major indicator as to whether you are going to die from climate change, but she doesn't care about any of that. But again, the notion is that if you just silence the other side, if you just say that we won't monetize any videos on climate change, we won't monetize any videos that, that deny the scientific consensus about lab leaks, if you, like, you are not in control of the process but they have to maintain control of the process. The authoritarianism is critical to them. They need the authoritarian control of informational dissemination. It's why they're targeting Facebook right now. They need to make sure that no, that no other data can slip through the cracks because once 
that once that facade of total ability to control is broken, it can never be restored. Once people have seen through the veil and they realize that it is not a matter of just getting the right elite in power to hit that magic button, that instead what it really is a matter of is recognizing there is no magic button. There isn't. In life, there's no magic button where there is some magical king who's going to fix all of your problems if you give him ultimate power over your life. Once people realize that, maybe we'll actually be able to live with each other. Maybe we'll stop caring so much about what the federal government does because the federal government can't fix all your damn problems. Maybe we'll start to recognize that most problem solving happens at the local level, not by delegating power to idiots like AOC or delegating power to self-righteous twerps like Anthony Fauci or delegating power to befuddled old morons like Joe Biden who can't even string a sentence together but is telling you how he's going to fix the entire American economy if you give him entire power and fix COVID while he's at it after spending a year doing neither. Maybe if we realize that it's not a matter of just switching those people out for more competent and better people, it is a matter of not giving them power in the first place because no human being is capable of fixing the kind of problems these people claim to be able to fix. That is not a thing. Once they realize that, there's no going back. And then their power really is gone. They need to maintain the monopoly over, over information. They need to maintain monopolistic intervention, interventionary power. They need it. They need it. And this is why you say Senator Ed Markey, who's a top-down command and control socialist, saying that no climate, no reconciliation, right? This is why they're pushing climate change in the reconciliation deal, right? And while we still have a long way to go to meet our goal of net zero emissions globally by 2050, failure to act now will make this goal nearly impossible to achieve. So here's the deal. Climate cannot and will not be cut. No climate, no deal. Right, because the science, because, okay, they're not going to stop the world from getting warmer. Nothing they are doing is going to prevent serious amounts of climate emissions. Not, it, it's coming from China and India at this point. And by the way, they're in complete denial over the actual measures that might reduce carbon emissions. They don't want nuclear power. They don't want natural gas to replace coal. They don't want any of that stuff. Right? Any practical solutions are verboten. Because again, they don't want the solution. The solution is the enemy. The solution is the problem. The control is the point. Solutions are, are natural. Like, they can't let people be people because if they let people be people, it might suggest that cosmic justice is not available at the push of that ridiculous button. Okay, so I need to give you one more example of this before we part here. Okay, so New York City. This is an amazing story. So New York City is now going to phase out its gifted and talented program. And this is all part and parcel of this desire for top-down control and a belief that a magical man, a six-foot-nine groundhog murdering communist, can fix all the problems so long as you just give him total and utter control over your life to make things worse. So New York is phasing out its gifted and talented program. According to the New York Times, Mayor Bill de Blasio will overhaul New York City's highly selective, racially segregated, gifted and talented education classes. And now notice how the New York Times covers that. These classes are not racially segregated. There is not a single law anywhere in America that allows you to racially segregate classes. They're not racially segregated. Normally, when we speak about racial segregation, we talk about a government policy or even a local policy or a private policy that says black people here, white people here. No such policy exists in New York City. It's illegal. It's a federal violation of civil rights law to do that. It is not legal under Brown versus Board and under the Civil Rights Act. But according to the New York Times, New York City, like the heart of liberalism, is racially segregating its classes. That's not actually what's happening. Okay, they say 
Mayor Bill de Blasio will overhaul New York City's highly selective, racially segregated, gifted and talented education classes, a sea change for the nation's largest public school system that may amount to the mayor's most significant act in the waning months of his tenure. The elementary school gifted and talented program that New York has known for the last several decades will no longer exist for incoming kindergarten students next fall. Within a few years, it will be eliminated completely, city officials told the New York Times. Students currently enrolled in gifted classes will become the final cohort in the existing system, which will be replaced by a program that offers accelerated learning to all students in the later years of elementary school. The gradual elimination of the existing program will remove a major component of what many consider to be the city's two-tiered education system, in which one relatively small, largely white, and Asian-American group of students gain access to the highest-performing schools, while many Black and Latino children remain in schools that are struggling. Now, notice what's happening here. The reason these highly gifted magnets are, quote-unquote, racially segregated, which they are not, is because there are tests given to determine whether you get to go to a gifted school or a magnet school. And it turns out white and Asian kids are doing too well, particularly Asian kids. First of all, pretty weird that we now have racial segregation that includes Asians. That's kind of strange. That's kind of a new addition. Kind of kills the whole it's white versus black when Asian Americans are making up a vast disproportionate share of people in the gifted programs. But what is this really about? What this is really about is black and Latino students in New York City are scoring lower on the test than white and Asian American students. So kill the test, kill the schools, force those kids who are doing better on the test to go back to schools that are designed to teach people who are performing less well on tests. Mediocrity, equality through mediocrity is preferable to to flourishing through meritocracy. Equality through mediocrity is preferable to these command and control asshats to actual flourishing through meritocracy. New York, home to one of the most racially segregated school systems in the country. Like the New York Times thinks that if they just keep repeating that New York is forcibly racially segregating, it becomes true. It is not true. It has never been true. It is not true right now. The move represents one of Mr. de Blasio's most dramatic actions to combat segregation in city schools. It's just amazing. They're just going to repeat it over and over. Though it also puts New York more in line with how other cities are approaching their own segregated gifted classes. About 75% of the roughly 16,000 students in gifted elementary school classes in New York are white or Asian American. Those groups make up about 25% of the overall school system. Though the mayor has long promised to tackle inequality in city schools, he has been criticized by some for not taking more forceful action on desegregation until the end of his mayoralty. The change presents an unwelcome challenge for Mr. de Blasio's almost certain successor, Eric Adams, a Democratic nominee for mayor who would have to implement an entirely new gifted education system during his first year in office. Adams, who is black, by the way, has expressed skepticism about overhauling the gifted system. Instead, he said he wanted to offer more gifted programs in low-income neighborhoods. But New York will no longer admit rising kindergarten students into separate gifted classes or schools starting next fall. Instead, the city will train all its kindergarten teachers, roughly 4,000 educators, to accommodate students who need accelerated learning within their general education classrooms. Okay, let me just tell you, this is not going to work. The reason it's not going to work is because every educational study ever done shows that the cohort of students you hang out with makes a difference in your academic development. If you take a gifted kid and you put the gifted kid in with the non-gifted kids, the gifted kid does not make the other non-gifted kids smarter. The precise opposite happens. The teacher has to expend their energy on the bulk of the classroom, which is not the gifted kid. The gifted kid is very often put in the corner, handed an algebra book and told, learn it yourself, which is not effective. It isn't. Okay, I know this personally because I went to a magnet school when I was in junior high. The kids there were incredibly smart. Everybody was accelerated. And then I had just come from a private Jewish day school, which did not have the capacity to handle its most gifted students. It's the reason we moved to public school. And that's literally what happened. The math teacher came over and handed me an Algebra 2 book and said, learn it. Because she had to worry about the other kids in the class. 
barring any dramatic moves by the incoming administration, they are now going to change the entire system. The city does not yet have an estimate for how much the training will cost. It'll be tens of millions of dollars, all, all because they want to avoid the basic reality that some kids score better on tests and some kids are smarter and some kids are not as smart. Okay, period. And that is not a race-based statement. That is an individual-based statement because tests aren't given to races. They are given to individuals. And if there are fewer individuals in a given race who are doing poorly, like among Asian Americans, fewer individuals are doing poorly on the tests, so be it. Using group data in, in, to, to fix individual data is, of course, ridiculous and silly. But the idea is that these, these guys are so good, they can hit a button. And not only will we get all the gifted students to remain gifted, all the, all the non-gifted students will become gifted. All you have to do is give them the power. Just give them the power to wreck the system, and they will fix the system for you. Now, none of them have ever fixed the system. This is Barack Obama's entire shtick. And he got into office in 2008. And instead of like prior presidents saying, here's what I can do and here's what I can't do, he said, I could do anything except that these buffoons keep getting in the way and bothering me. Right? It's these people on the right who keep getting in my way. I don't know who Bill de Blasio blames exactly, considering the entire city of New York is deep blue. But it doesn't matter. The myth must be maintained at all costs. It must be maintained. And what this is going to cause in the end is a continuation of the big sort that we're seeing. There's a reason that Tesla is now moving to Texas. The reason that Tesla is moving to Texas is because Texas does not believe that there ought to be some God King who's appointed to fix all problems, who ought to be the super CEO over Tesla. In Texas, they say Elon Musk ought to run his company and we ought to mind our own business, which is why Elon Musk is moving the entire company over to Texas. According to Biz Journals, the CEO said October 7th that Tesla would now base itself in central Texas. It has a $1.1 billion gigafactory rising in eastern Travis County. He said, I'm excited that we are moving our headquarters to Austin, Texas. He said they still are going to have plants in California. He says, we're just going to increase our, our output from other places. He says, it's going to be great to emphasize again, we're going to continue to expand in California, but even more so here in Texas. There's a reason why they're doing that. The reason is because California is trying to gain control. Once again, all about control. The, the lie has to be maintained. See through the lie. See through it. They cannot fix your problems. The vast majority of your problems, only you are capable of fixing. Stop looking to some godlike politician who's really just a venal jackass who wants power to fix your problems. Joe Biden ain't fixing anybody's problems. Joe Biden can't even spit out a sentence at this point. Here's Joe Biden today trying to read his name from a teleprompter. Yeah, it didn't work out well. The Ohio, Pennsylvania, the Ohio, Pennsylvania, I'm from Pennsylvania. The, uh, the, uh, the Illinois president uh, of the, uh, Don Harmon, State Senator Laura Murphy, State Rep uh, um, Martin Mo- uh, Mo- Moylan, and uh, we got great labor leaders here, too. Tim, where's Tim? There you go, Tim, thank you. Thank you, pal. AFL-CIO State President. And Jeff Isaacson, United Brotherhood of Carpenters, you've, and uh, Don Finn, IBW, uh, and, uh, and Robert Reiter, Reiter, R-E-I-T-E-R, Reiter, Chicago Federation of Labor. Okay, so you you hear you can either have this dumb cup run your run your life, or you could run it yourself. Those are your choices. There's no third choice where he's really good at this stuff, or anybody is really good at this stuff. Alrighty, we'll be back here later today with an additional hour of content. First, you can't forget to end your week by checking out the Andrew Clavin Show. Drew's shows every Friday. He's got an exciting evening planned for you. So head on over to dailywire.com, 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Central. Tune in. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is the Ben Shapiro Show. 
If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Andrew Clavin Show, The Michael Knowles Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. Thanks for listening. The Ben Shapiro Show is produced by Elliot Feld. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. Production manager, Pavel Wydowski. Associate producer, Bradford Carrington. Post producer, Justin Barber. The show is edited by Adam Saievitz. Audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is by Fabiola Cristina. Production assistant, Jessica Kranz. The Ben Shapiro Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright, Daily Wire 2021. Hey everybody, this is Andrew Claven, host of The Andrew Claven Show. You know, some people are depressed because the republic is collapsing, the end of days is approaching, and the moon's turned to blood. But on The Andrew Claven Show, that's where the fun just gets started. So come on over to The Andrew Claven Show and laugh your way through the fall of the republic with me, Andrew Claven. We'll get to more on this in just one second first. Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving.